Welcome to All Students of Stanford Unite, the official podcast of the Associated Students of Stanford University and Stanford Student Enterprises. I'm your host, Cricket Vitalman, and today's guest is Viona Vo, who is the Executive Vice President of the ASSU Executive Cabinet. Hi, Viona. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Viana Vo. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a rising senior, so I got one more year at Stanford. And involved with the ASSU since my sophomore year, so I'm really glad to be able to be involved at this capacity as the vice president. How long have you been involved with the ASSU? Yeah, so started off in sophomore year as an executive fellow, and that just means that on the exec cabinet, each director has a team of executive fellows. So I was working on the team on mental health and wellness. So as an executive fellow, I would just help my directors organize projects and just help them with just certain goals that they had. It sounds like you'll be expanding the executive fellows program this year. Is that true? Yeah, we've been thinking a lot about how we want to structure our team on the executive cabinet. So two years ago, there was the executive fellows. Last year, instead of EFs, what we had were special committees. And these special committees were groups of people. It didn't matter what branch they were in, whether or not they were in ASSU, but this group of people could come together and work issue area. So it'd be a large issue area topic such as mental health and wellness and there was a special committee for that. This year we're trying to do a hybrid model where right now what we've done is each cabinet director is able to recruit a team of three to five executive fellows and these people are meant to be kind of their right hand people. People who would support them very closely on admin meetings and kind of vision and planning. And then once we have kind of our goals for the year we would establish special committees that are modeled after how the U.S. Congress does it. So how they do it is they have these special committees that are established for a very specific purpose. So for example, we could establish one on reforming telehealth in the state of California, for example. So once they've completed that task, the special committee would then be closed. So instead of being like a year-long project, we're instead focusing on creating these small project-based groups with people from any branch, people from the community. It doesn't matter whether or not you're in ASSU, but the point is that you're all focused on this one goal. So it's very goal-oriented. You mentioned earlier that in sophomore year, you were on the Committee for Mental Health and Wellness. Why is that an important issue for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, growing up as kind of a Vietnamese-American in our community, we don't really talk about mental health a lot. And coming into Stanford was kind of the first time where I saw people talking about it more. But even though we kind of talked about it more, it was still a little bit taboo. And freshman year, I struggled quite a bit. And I got frustrated with how the system worked. I got frustrated that people had to wait so long to go to CAPS. I got frustrated that people couldn't find providers who looked like them or who understood kind of their intersectional identity. So because of that, I wanted to do something to change kind of what was going on at Stanford, right? Someone once told me, find something get mad about it and then do something. So for me, like ASSU, it started off from a place of anger, actually, a place of frustration. I was just really frustrated with the system and how things have occurred. You know, as I've gone through ASSU, it's less from a place of frustration now. I've grown to understand more the difficult situation that people working at CAPS or administrators are put in, but 
it's kind of from that perspective of having my own personal struggles is where I come from and why this issue is so important to me. That's an interesting journey that I think a lot of people can relate to. So now you come from a place of passion then. Is that what inspired you to run for a VP? Yeah, I, I have a lot of ideas and sometimes I wonder whether or not I'm able to follow through on them at all. But with exec, it's having a team who you can work with, right? So you're not just alone. Like on the mental health committee, I was often working with a very small team. It's very specialized. But with exec, you your issue areas branch all across the university, right? So instead of being worried about just mental health and wellness, now I can think about how we want to approach things from a racial justice lens or sexual violence and prevention, etc. So being able to approach things from a wider range is something I really enjoy. So it's seeing the forest rather than working on the trees. So would you mind explaining then what the ASSU does and in particular what the executive branch does? Yeah. So, I mean, as a brief overview, the ASSU student government, right? You have your executives, which are the president and vice president. And then there are several branches. We have, for the legislature, legislative side we have the undergraduate senate and then the graduate student council and then for kind of the executive side that's where we have the executive cabinet there's the financial branch as well with the SSE but I'm going to dive a little more into kind of the executive branch and what that looks like so the executives have the choice of recruiting a team to form a cabinet, an executive cabinet. And what this team is are essentially advisors, people who can lead in their particular issue areas. So for this year, we expanded the cabinet to include racial justice, which is a new position actually. It has not been included in past years or recent years anyways. And then we've also expanded the affordability position to include both undergraduate and graduate representatives. So each of these directors with this year, we have a team of two directors for each issue area. In the past, it was a mix of two versus one. So we have around 30 people on the executive cabinet, and these are the people who help advise me and Manira. And then in return, like me and Manira, think about our platform and present projects to these directors, who then take it to their teams to try to execute and to carry out. So it seems like the president and vice president tend to focus on something that they feel passionate about to help the student community. What issue are you working on this year? So for me, my big project right now is honestly expanding telehealth services across state lines. So basically, providers are not able to provide care to students outside the state of California. And that is extremely problematic in the time of COVID when students are no longer on campus. They're at home, whether that be in like Colorado or somewhere across the world. So because of that, students are no longer able to access important services such as like therapy at CAPS. And what's even worse is CAPS is exacerbating all our mental health problems. There's loneliness, there's anxiety, there's depression. That's just getting worse with COVID. So not being able to see a provider at CAPS is really problematic in my eyes and so I've been working I've been talking to kind of the county council been going to town halls with the supervisor Dave Cortese I've been talking to people at the legal team at Stanford I know that there's an act going on the Senate US Senate floor but 
the Senate is not in session until mid-September. So what I'm trying to figure out is, is there something we can push for in the interim? For example, getting Governor Newsom to issue an executive order. So that's the ultimate goal, having some sort of interim emergency policy that will help expand coverage for students until something is passed at the federal level. So that's my big project right now. One thing that some people are not aware of is that CAPS only provides generally four to six weeks of service for a student. Do you think there's any chance that the temporary nature of the CAPS services could lead to worsening someone's loneliness or depression? Could you clarify your question? So do you mean like short-term care contributes to loneliness and depression rather than if CAPS had provided long-term care? Yes, because it seems like toward the end of a person's service at CAPS, they should be receiving referrals to more long-term solutions, but a lot of people don't get those. Mm. So that is kind of a myth. I mean, I, I people have those experiences. I will not discount them. CAPS is historically not great at referring people, which is something we really need to work on this year, especially if people are living off campus. But what's supposed to happen is at the end of your relationship with CAPS, they're supposed to get you a case manager who will then help you connect to a provider off campus. There are two case managers at CAPS, one for Cardinal Care members and others for other insurance. Uh, Yeah, the process isn't great right now, but that is something that they are conscious of and working towards. Okay, let's move on to the executive branch. What's been going on during your term so far? Yeah, so this summer we've been working mostly on onboarding and kind of vision for the year. And with that, we've onboarded our chief of staff, we onboarded our executive cabinet. Now our directors are onboarding their executive fellows. And hopefully in the fall is when we will start creating those special committees. And this summer, we've also been hard at work with formalizing our partnership with VPSA. So that's Vice Provost for Student Affairs. In the past, there was one relationship that was kind of formal between the cabinet and VPSA. But this year, we've decided to go ahead and create formal relationships for all of our issue areas. So that has resulted in around like 10 to 11 formal partnerships. And what this means is that our exec cab members will be able to meet with VPSA liaisons on a regular basis, whether that be weekly, biweekly, or quarterly. That is up to them to determine. But it is for specific issue areas so that we have a better method of communicating between the student body and and the administration. So that's been a pretty big project. Another one has been connecting our cabinet with the COVID-19 implementation teams that Stanford has convened. So on that front, for example, we've been working on trying to reform the Graduate Student Compact, which recently came out and had a lot sparked a lot of controversy. We've been looking at how to make class schedules more amenable to international students or students living in different time zones. We've also been looking at how to create more kind of care structures or social support structures since that loneliness is something that the university is kind of looking at and very aware of and very worried about. So we're kind of brainstorming on that front as well. If there was one change that you could ask the Student Affairs Office to focus on implementing, what would it be? Communication. Like, honestly, communication this past summer has not been the best in terms of communication, whether it be delayed, whether it be not a strong enough position, or whether it be 
kind of emails that didn't really have a human voice to it. It kind of sounded like they typed it up in five or ten minutes and just sent it out. In these times when we don't have face-to-face -face contact, emails are kind of all we have, and sometimes I don't think they realize how much impact their emails can have. There was an email where they laid off like 200 people, not much follow-up from that. And so it's letting people know what they're trying to do and what their goals are, because there is work that is happening. Like, I've worked closely with some of the professional staff members on the VPSA team, and they care deeply. It's just, if you don't communicate that to students, then then that message is lost. No one knows, and it might as well not care if no one knows. So communication is something that I would hope we can work on this year. So that's why last year I suggested the video messages, because I know that they care a lot. It's just sometimes we don't get to see that. Do you think there's another medium that would be more effective for showing empathy? Hmm, video messages. That's interesting. I think video messages could be one one platform. Another thing I saw recently in one of their emails is that they included a message from Inga Hansen, uh, the director of well-being in Wyland, and that I felt had a bit of more of a human tone to it. It had a face to it, right? So maybe instead of just having these emails that are they say they're signed off by Susie and Sarah or Stacy. It's like having these different messages from their team members who hold a different tone to it, right? Rather than being super formal, I just, I yearn for something a little more human. So I know how uncertain things are given COVID and everything that's going on recently, but do you have any idea of what the executive branch will be focusing on this year? Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the big question, isn't it? So for fall, what we're mostly focused on right now is the response to COVID-19, making sure testing is okay, looking at policies on campus in terms of the campus compact, that's been a big topic, looking at course accessibility. So for example, students, when we were on campus, we could go to the library to get our textbooks and we could participate in the like free and for sale or get used textbooks. Now that's a little harder. So we're trying to see if we can expand Stanford service to scan textbooks and put them online. Uh, other things are honestly just community, a sense of community while Stanford is not in one place. So how can we, how can we foster that? So a lot of it is making sure we have these support structures in place is, I would say, our overarching goal. So one thing that Stanford started doing in spring quarter is having all classes recorded, which I think is really helpful for international students in particular, but really anyone in different time zones. The problem is that people still don't have a way of getting more immediate or direct answers from the teaching staff because they can't necessarily access the teaching staff in class. What do you think is a good and fair way for students to be able to do that? Yeah, that's a really good question you bring up. One thing is having regular office hours, perhaps if there are TAs in different zones or if they can make study hours. Like I know in the past, I'm not a CS student, but people would go to, I forget what it's called. Do you know what I'm talking about? There was that CS place they'd go to for TA office hours, but basically have kind of a designated time. And it could be multiple periods throughout the day. That way we can cover a range of areas, but be like, oh, we're going to have a study room open in Zoom from like 2 to 4 p.m. Pop in if you'd like. There'll be other students there, other TAs there. So I think a more conscious effort on the part 
on, on the behalf of professors and teaching teams will need to be made in order to reach all students because it is a little difficult when you're watching a recording and you have a question you're not sure who to ask or it's like a simple one question thing that you're not sure if an email is even worth it. I know some classes have had question documents where they have a Google Doc where students can put in their questions from class and TAs and professors will answer it on that document. So you could check that document to see if your question has already been answered. If not, then you just add it. That's a good solution, at least temporarily. One thing that a lot of students are considering or are planning to do is to take a gap year. And this is, I think, a good idea, at least because of COVID and everything else that has been going on. But one thing that those students are struggling with when they're considering whether or not to take a gap year is that they don't feel that sense of community with their cohort and that doesn't seem fair. So what do you think is a good way for us to try to maintain that sense of community? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's difficult. I think something I've been looking into is creating more mentorship programs or big sib, little sib type of programs because I know my freshman year I participated in one in the API community and we'd meet like once a week or once a quarter to just grab dinner and do things. So we could start ones that are within departments or we could do ones based on community, for example, like a community center. And that way we can continue to kind of foster these spaces where people can come in and meet other people. Because with classes right now, it's it's hard to meet other people. I know when I took classes, you'd be sitting in a table group and maybe you'd be able to ask each other questions or start meeting to work on P-sets. But that's a little harder online because it's honestly unprecedented and we don't have infrastructure for it. So I think thinking about ways where either ASSU or VPSA or some other Stanford department can create infrastructure to support students, I think that's where it needs to come from. Because if there's not a university-wide push, it's going to be very siloed. It's going to occur in silos. That's a really good point, so thank you for addressing that. I think one thing that students who are planning to graduate on time struggle with is that it's really difficult to find motivation to succeed academically or community-wise because everything's on Zoom. So there's only so much that you can be on a computer sitting doing close to nothing before you get tired or bored or distracted or as Professor Hamilton put it, all Zoomed out. And so I just wonder what advice do you have for people who are struggling with motivation? How do you find motivation and how would you suggest that people do the same during this strange and unprecedented time? Yeah, I mean, motivation is a big, big challenge. Like, I remember in spring quarter, I I was struggling with it myself. Like, why should I try hard in this class when it's just pass or fail? Or there's so many other things going on right now. Class isn't really my priority. But I was really doing a lot of reflecting this past summer as I've been able to work on my internship. And... This internship has been really fulfilling because I've been able to apply a lot of what I've learned from Stanford to this internship. So kind of revisiting why you came to Stanford, what you want to do with your degree, how can you apply what you've learned right now to maybe like volunteer or help out with the pandemic. So revisiting your why, right? What's important to you and why was an important, was a popular question that was asked on our app. So 
I think doing a bit of reflecting and setting some short-term and mid-term and long-term goals for you to hit. Because in terms of motivation, setting goals can be really helpful. It gives you something to work towards. The third essay question on the Stanford application my year was, what matters to you and why? And I thought at the time that it was a really open question that no one would really know how to answer. I definitely didn't. But I think it's something we need to consider, especially now, not in a why am I attending type of sense, but just in general. So my last question for you has to do with professors and final exams. People have been asked to not provide final exams this quarter, but I think that they'll find other alternatives like long papers or midterms in week nine or exams on the last day of class, which, come on, those are finals. I don't really think this is particularly fair, but there are definitely arguments in favor of it. Which side are you on and what would be your argument in support of or against um, final exams this quarter? I do not think that there should be final exams, especially if that is something that the faculty senate agreed on. But as you've noted, there is a there are many different interpretations of this. One class that I'm TAing wants to do a final paper on the last week, and that's similar to how the class was taught in the past, but we have to remember these, these times are different. We shouldn't hold ourselves to the same standards. We should focus on learning and find different ways of measuring progress, like reward people for, for making mistakes and for learning from them, rather than just some arbitrary tests at the end of the quarter when you know, we have no idea what's going to happen at the end of the quarter. I wish that, like, CUSP, which is the Committee on Undergraduate Standards and Policies, could, could you know, say something to professors about what it means to administer a final exam or what it means to have an actual cumulative grading throughout the quarter. Because right now, there are a lot of inconsistencies across the university. Do you think then that some professors are still trying to administer some sort of final assessment because Stanford has an image to uphold? I'm sorry, I, I know that was supposed to be a final question. That's probably part of it, you know. I, some arguments I've heard for not doing credit, no credit is, like, why would a Stanford degree matter after this if it's just pass, no pass, right? Others are, Stanford, I mean, some professors think that oh, if they don't give an exam, students aren't even going to try, the quality of learning is going to decrease. So those are all things that professors are considering. Well, that's interesting. I didn't really consider that, but I suppose it's something to consider. So why do you think, then, that professors shouldn't have final assessments? Well, honestly, the pandemic is disproportionately impacting students from from disadvantaged communities. You know, so when we were originally presenting to the faculty senate the options for grading, we I was leaning towards the universal system. And the universal policy said that everyone would have to take satisfactory no credit. What they ended up choosing was optional credit no credit, meaning that every class that is offered for a letter grade must also offer an option of credit no credit. And this I think it's not truly optional. People are going to be faced with the pressure of choosing a letter grade, right? Students who have the resources and the ability to choose letter grading will do so. And their peers who may be facing more difficulties with this pandemic will have to make the decision of whether they're going to have to try to work like 10 times as hard to achieve the same grades or just choose credit 
and have to try to explain that to their employers or graduate schools later on. So campus in some ways acted as an equalizer in terms that we have the same learning environment, a little better access to resources for like libraries and professors and TAs. But now where people are scattered across the world, things are just so different. Like for example, I'm in California and there are wildfires raging right now. I know in Iowa there's been natural disasters. I know there are hurricanes going on on the East Coast. Like students are not in the same place and it's really difficult to apply a broad broad system where it is accommodating to everyone. So it often leaves the burden of reaching out for accommodations to the student. And you know, many times students will end up not reaching out when they need help. And so that's why I think during this time, especially during this time, it is really important to be understanding, to be empathetic, and just try to support people. You know, because before students, we are people, right? We can't be who we want to be, what we want, do what we want to do, if ultimately we are not ourselves. So then, especially right now, self-care is incredibly important. What is one piece of advice that you have for students when it comes to self-care and picking a grading system that is fair for them? And I'm, that's actually my very last question, I promise. Yeah. Something I heard over this past weekend was, I hope you, I hope you value your self-care as much as you value your success. Right? So thinking about where we put value. Is it in who we are or is it in what we do and what we're able to do? So rethinking your system of values, thinking what's important, what's going to last beyond this time, what's going to matter in five, ten years, right? And so thinking about those things has been really helpful for me in terms of prioritizing self-care, but also asking others to prioritize self-care. So I, yeah, I would just ask people to think about what matters most to them right now. That is a really important piece of advice. Thank you so much for joining us today, Viana. Of course, thank you for having me. All right, and that is Viana Vo, our Executive Vice President for this year of the Associated Students of Stanford University. And this has been another episode of All Students of Stanford Unite. Please send any feedback you might have to communications at assu.stanford.edu. I'm your host, Cricket Beidelman, and that's it for today. Have a good one. Oh,